Gordon is a pastor over at uh, Park Road Prez, our mother church, and he's able to come over sometimes. And so I just want to ask him to pray for the sermon today. Heavenly Father, thank you for the word of God. Thank you that you spoke through your son as your final word. And now, Jesus, by your spirit, speak through John and bring glory to your father, bring glory to the Holy Spirit and to yourself. Encourage our hearts, we pray to in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. So we're doing this series called Cultivate. And this is our second week in, in Cultivate. And we're talking about the difference between kind of consumerism, which is just consuming culture and products and goods, versus the difference with Cultivate is you're actually intentional. You're trying to grow something in your life. You're trying to think about bearing fruit in the future and working backwards. What do I need to do now to bear fruit in the future? And last week we talked about cultivating spiritual renewal in your life. How do you work with Jesus and what he's trying to do in your life and making you a new person? And we saw that that comes through repentance and faith, through turning away from your sin and turning to him. And that's how spiritual renewal happens. Today, we're going to talk about cultivating faith, hope, and love in your life. But I want to ask you a question to start off. What keeps you up at night? Like when you wake up in the middle of the night and it's 2 a.m., what keeps you up? Your neighbors, maybe your children, but what about internally? What about internally? What makes you anxious? And then even deeper than that, what secrets do you have? What do you not want other people to know about yourself? Or even this, what do you not want to know about your own self? And then what sinks you? What takes you to that place where you just despair? You feel like there's no hope. You feel like there's no way forward. You feel like I'm just done. I think that all of us are kind of afraid to go there and we're afraid to admit that we have all those things in our life, but the reality is every human being does. Every human being struggles with shame, struggles with fear, and struggles with despair. In fact, I would argue that instead of cultivating faith, hope, and love, we're actually pretty good at cultivating fear and shame and despair in our own lives. We're actually good at sort of growing it. And we, we listen to our fears and we, we feed into our shame. And we end up in this place where we just despair and we don't know how to get out of it. Fear is that belief that there is something dangerous out there. Now it might be real or it might be not real, but we all have those fears of something dangerous. Shame is that deep sense of humiliation about yourself. It might be a characteristic about yourself, or it might be a a sin from the past or even in the present that makes you feel humiliated. And despair is the absence of hope. It's the feeling that nothing can ever get better. And as I said, every human being wrestles with this. You can say that you don't, but we do. Every person does. And it even shows up in things like our New Year's resolution. Maybe you've, maybe you've like already not been able to keep your New Year's resolutions, but think about why you made your resolutions. Resolutions aren't bad, but oftentimes what brings us to the point of wanting to make a New Year's resolution is fear, shame, and despair. Fear, shame, and despair. You know, all the New Year's resolutions to lose weight, to get healthy, to have more time with the fam, less time on the phone, 
to drink or smoke less, to eat less, to pray more, to read your Bible more. And those are all good things. And we should do those things. But what often drives those things is fear, shame, and despair. We have body image issues. We have shame about our bodies. So we say, I gotta lose weight so I feel better about myself. We fear a loss of status. And so we say, I gotta change something so other people don't look down on me. And maybe even your New Year's resolution came about because someone called you out about something in your life. And you're like, I gotta change that so I never get shamed again. Shame, fear, and despair. Oftentimes our resolutions are simply just us trying to cover up what we don't wanna admit about ourselves. Fear, shame, and despair. And even if we don't make resolutions, I don't wanna make resolutions because I can't keep them. And if I can't keep them, that'll bring me to a point of further shame, fear, and despair. So I just won't make any because I don't wanna go there. In 2018, how do we become people who are not driven by fear, shame, and despair? How do we become people who know about fear, know about shame, and know about despair, but that does not become our underlying motivation? We aren't steered by fear. We aren't tamed by shame. We aren't outstared by despair. In order to deal with fear, shame, and despair, first of all, we have to understand where it comes from. Fear, shame, and despair is a common part of the human experience because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Man and woman, Adam and Eve, lived in perfect harmony with one another. They lived in perfect harmony with God until they rebelled. There was no shame before they rebelled. It says man and woman were naked and unashamed. There was no fear before they rebelled because they were in relationship with God and there was no despair. But when man and woman rebelled, something happened. Everything broke. The relationship with God was broken, the relationship with each other was fractured, and the relationship with themselves was broken. And all of a sudden, fear, shame, and despair creeps into God's good world. So that God comes looking for Adam and Eve, where are you? Where are you? And Adam is hiding in the bushes. I was naked and I was scared, I was ashamed. So I covered myself with fig leaves. Fear, shame, and despair started when man rebelled against God and then carries over into blame shifting between Adam and Eve. It wasn't me, it was this woman you gave me. It wasn't me, it was this serpent. Fear, shame, and despair creeps into the world. And to understand and not be driven by fear, shame, and despair, we have to understand where it comes from. But we also have to understand God's solution to fear, shame, and despair. God's solution to fear, shame, and despair is to cultivate faith, <coughs> hope, and love in your life. Cultivate faith, hope, and love in your life. Over and over, the Apostle Paul writes about these three things, faith, hope, and love. And in 1 Corinthians 13, 13, at the very end of the chapter on love, he says this, now these three remain, faith, hope, and say it with me, love, but the greatest of these is love. What are faith, hope, and love? 
I was joking around earlier with, uh, with some people about, you know, it's what we get tattooed on our bodies and other languages. But biblically, they have a lot more meaning than they do in the culture. Uh, culturally, we use these words, faith, hope, and love a lot. So if I say, because I got to have faith, George Michael fans know how to complete that sentence. I'll go a little bit further back. If you say, you may say I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope. There you go, Beatles fans. Someday you'll join us and the world will live as one. And Kendrick Lamar said, just love me. Faith, hope, and love are used throughout the culture, but they don't have the deep meaning that they do for us as Christians who understand what God's talking about in scripture. They're more than just inspirational words without concrete definitions. They are words that define what it means to be deeply captured by who God is. Faith means trust and belief in God and his character and what he promises to do. It's seeing your circumstances that cause fear and yet choosing to have faith in God even despite your circumstances. Hope is the expectation of God doing something that you cannot yet see. Michael Gorman calls hope the future tense of, despair, of faith. The future tense of faith. And hope is what crushes despair. Love is the giving of self for the benefit of others. It's not just a feeling, it's actually an action of self-sacrifice and self-giving to another person. And these are just even more than just words to do with God. They're not just words that capture what it means to be caught up in God, but words about the response of people who have been caught up in the story of Jesus. Faith, hope, and love are even more deeply about a response to what Jesus has done for us. Let's read Romans 5, 1 through 5 together. You'll find here that all these three words appear. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have also obtained access through him by into this grace in which we stand. And I'm going to stop there just for a second. Faith mentioned twice. Faith starts with believing God and what he says. In this passage, Paul is talking about believing that God's evaluation of you as a sinner is true. God, I believe you. You say I'm a sinner, I am a sinner. It's believing that because you are a sinner, you have a moral debt that you owe God. You have a debt to him that you cannot pay off because you have violated his commandments, you have disobeyed his law, and he owes you judgment. Faith starts with understanding that you have a moral debt to God, but that debt has been paid for by the God-man, Jesus Christ. The judgment that you deserve for your moral debt was poured out on Jesus Christ on the cross. So that the wrath of God, as we sang in Christ alone, the wrath of God is therefore satisfied. You owe God nothing more for your moral debt, but thankfulness, because he has paid it all for you. Faith is believing that you are a sinner, but then believing that God has provided what you need to be reconciled to God through the work of Jesus on the cross. Faith is relying and trusting in that. Faith is believing that when something in you says, I'm not good enough for God, faith says, of course you're not good enough for God. You're a sinner. 
But Jesus was good enough on your behalf and has done everything you need to be in a state of peace and grace with God. God is no longer your enemy. He is your friend and your father and you are a son and daughter because of what Jesus has done for you. That is faith. But then Paul goes on and says, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Culturally, when we use the word hope, it's often about our own story. I hope my story gets better. I hope this works out. And that's great. We should pray to God that he will fix things in our life and he will make things better. But when the Bible uses hope, it's more talking about God's story. And when God returns at the end of time in the person of Jesus, he is going to make all things new. He's going to reconcile everything to himself. He's going to banish all evil. He's going to descend in a new city and live face to face with people who know his son, Jesus Christ. And when all things are made new, you and I will be fully known face to face with God. Look at what 1 Corinthians 13 says. Right before it talks about that faith, hope, and love, it says, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put aside childish things. Now that's talking about Christian maturity, but look at what it says. For now, now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. But when Christ returns, we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I will know fully, even as I am fully known. I love that verse because it really deals with our shame. I mean, God already knows you right now, but when Christ returns, you will fully know him. The person that you are right now, with all your sins and imperfections and secrets and things that you don't want anyone to know and things that you don't want to admit about yourself, you will be face to face with a God who loves you, with a God who wipes the tears from your eyes, with a God who welcomes you into his new city and says, see, I am making all things new. But that God already knows you now. And him knowing you now gives you hope about knowing him face to face in the future. The promise of seeing God face to face brings hope right now. And that hope does not disappoint us. Romans, 3, Romans 5 continues and says, not only that, but we also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that the affliction produces endurance and endurance produces proven character and proven character produces hope. Next slide. This hope will not disappoint us. In some versions, it says this hope will not shame us. Because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. This hope will not shame us. It will not disappoint us because God has already made a down payment on you by putting his Holy Spirit inside of you. And he has poured the love of Jesus out on you. You've become a believer in the gospel of Christ and he has put his Holy Spirit in you. He's already there. He's already working in your life. He has put himself in us. And that's amazing to think about because when we think about love, we often think about, is someone else lovely? Like you fall in love because the other person is worthy of being loved. But it just says here that even though we are unlovely because of our sin, God poured his love out on us 
despite who we are, despite our sin, despite our shame. So faith, hope, and love become not just virtues or things that we get tattooed on our body, but a response to a person who understands what Christ has done on their behalf. Faith in what God has done through Jesus, hope in what God will do through Jesus, and love because God has loved you through Christ and given you his Holy Spirit. God didn't love you because you are lovable. He loved you because he is loving. His love isn't a feeling, it's an action. He sent the son because he loved you. He poured out the spirit into your heart because he loved you. Tim Keller says, you are more sinful than you ever dared believe, but you're more loved than you ever dared to hope. What happened in the garden produces fear, shame, and despair, but what happens in the gospel produces faith, hope, and love. So how do you cultivate that in your life? How do you cultivate faith, hope, and love? Well, it's kind of hard to, um, to work it into your life. Like God's given you everything that you need to be a person of faith, hope, and love. But you have to begin to draw on that bank account. If someone said to you, listen, I put a million dollars in a bank and here's the card, that money won't just make its way to you. You have to begin to, you have to go and get it. You have to go and live by that money. You have to go and draw it out. And it's the same thing with faith, hope, and love. You have to cultivate that in your life. And sometimes that's hard to do because fear, shame, and despair are always there. And that always makes you wobbly. Yesterday, I took my girls uh, to roller skate and they never roller skated before. And I was holding my four-year-old and she was like, you know, it almost looks like she was really good because she was all over the place and her legs were sliding. But she was learning how to skate. And in the same way, when we learn how to walk by faith, hope, and love, we're a little wobbly like our first time on roller skates. But the way, biblically, I think, to become a person who walks in faith, hope, and love is first of all, to face your shadows. Face your shadows, face your dark side, face your shadows. What do you not want to know about yourself? What do you not want to admit about yourself? Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, they hid and they had excuses and they, they blame shifted because they didn't want to admit to who they really were in the same way we do those things. We don't want to see our dark side. We don't want to admit how bad off we really are. And so you have to face your shadows. You have to be willing to step into the shame. You have to be willing to deal with the despair. You have to be willing to face the fear. You have to be willing to face your shadows. But then you don't stay there. You fall on your savior. As soon as you face your shadows, you fall on your savior. Paul, who was arguably one of the greatest figures in the New Testament, thought of himself as the darkest, as the most sinful, as the most evil person in the New Testament. Before Paul became an apostle, he was Saul, the one who went around killing Christians. And he smiled and he liked it. You can imagine the shame that he might've felt as an apostle of God, who had formerly been one who had killed Christians. Like, can you imagine being in a room right now and there was a guy sitting in the front row who used to kill Christians. Can you imagine the emotions that you'd wrestle with or the emotions that he would wrestle with? And yet this is what Paul says. This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. 
Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I am the worst of them. See, Paul has faced his shadows. He knows who he is. He knows that Jesus has come to save sinners, and he actually believes he's the worst. But he doesn't stay there because he believes that Jesus has paid for his sin on the cross. So he faces his shadows, but he falls on his savior. And Paul would not have been able to do all the great things and share the gospel with all the people that he did and travel around the ancient world had he not come to terms with who he really was and come to terms with Christ. His sin had been paid for just like yours is if you place your faith in Jesus. And when you come to know Christ, it's almost like a covering over your fear and shame and despair. You see, when God met Adam and Eve in the garden, he took animal skins and he made a covering for Adam and Eve to cover them in their shame. It was an act of grace. They felt ashamed and God made this, this animal skin to cover them. And in the same way, Christ is your covering. Your shame and your sin and your fear and despair are covered by Christ who has forgiven you, who is your righteousness. And so as you face your shadows, fall on your savior, but also fasten your story into his story. Fasten your story into the story of Jesus. In Hebrews 10, the author writes this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. All the more as you see the day drawing near. The, the people who are receiving this letter are in the midst of very, very much so. They're, they're facing hardships. They're facing trials because they're Christians. But he's telling them, keep your story as a chapter in God's story. Like remember that no matter what happens to you, no matter if you lose your home because you're a Christian, no matter if someone takes your life because you're a Christian, you are still in God's story. And as the final day approaches, when Jesus returns, all things will be made right. So no matter what happens in your story, remember that it's just a tiny chapter of a story of all things being made new. See, oftentimes we ask the question, does God care about my future? Does God care about what's gonna to happen to me this next year? And the answer is yes, of course. But the question comes right back at you. Do you care about God's future? Do you care about the story he's writing? Are you willing to see your story as part of the story of God resurrecting Jesus from the dead, him ascending to the throne and promising that one day he will return to make all things new. And you are part of that story. You are part of that story. Your story is in God's story. But you have to cultivate that in your life. You have to remind yourself that you're part of that story because you'll walk out of here and forget it. You'll look at your circumstances and you'll be like, ah, oh, despair. You'll look at your life and you'll think, oh, shame. You'll look at what you can't control and you go, ah, oh, fear. You have to remind yourself that you are in a greater story. You're in the story where God is making all things new and Christ Jesus will return and set all things right. And when that happens, 
we will live in a world of infinite, eternal, uncontrollable love. Infinite, eternal, uncontrollable love. That's why Paul writes, now these things remain faith, hope, and love because the greatest, but the greatest of these is love. Because when we get face to face with God, we won't live by faith, we'll live by sight. We'll actually see him. And when we get to the, to the new heavens and the new earth and the new city, we no longer have to hope for it because it will be reality. But yet love will remain. God's self-giving love will remain and it will infiltrate everything. In fact, all that will exist is us and God and love. And Jesus will reign on the throne. Love will be fully realized. N.T. Wright says that love is not just our duty, it is our destiny. <laughs> love is not just our duty, it's not just something we do, it is the destiny that we're headed for with God. The greatest of these is love. Remind yourself that that is God's story and fasten your story into that. When the despair comes up, when the fear rises in your heart, when you begin to feel the shame of your failures again, fasten your story into God's story once again. Can you imagine what would happen if God freed us to live as people of faith, hope, and love in a city full of fear, despair, shame? What could it look like for us to be a people who cultivate faith, hope, and love together as a church? The opportunities are really endless. The opportunities are endless. But for the Thessalonians, Paul wrote this. We always thank God for all of you, making mention of you constantly in our prayers. We recall in the presence of our God and Father, your work produced by faith, your labor motivated by love, and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul writes that uh, what it looks like to actually be affected by faith, hope, and love, to cultivate faith, hope, and love, looks simply like this doing good works because of your faith in Jesus. It's going on Monday nights and feeding the homeless. It's, it's caring about each other and helping each other out when you're in need. It's going to your enemies and doing good on their behalf. It's loving the unlovable. It's good works in response to faith. But it's also this, a labor flowing from love. How many people are driven their whole lives by shame? They work hard, but it's often to cover things up. What love says is that God has given his son to cover up your shame for you so that you are now free to be motivated by the love that he has poured out in your heart in order to love others. Cultivating faith, hope, and love not only looks like good works, it looks like love driving you even to, into hard circumstances. It's loving that person that's annoying. It, it's, it's sharing the gospel, even though you think you're gonna be rejected. It's self-giving love, just like God has given himself for you. But then lastly, endurance. Endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. No matter what you're facing, no matter who comes against you, no matter the trials and the road bumps and the speed blocks that you face in your life, continuing to endure. Because you know even more real than us standing here right now 
you and I will stand in the presence of Jesus Christ in the new city, in a place where there's no need for light because the glory of Jesus will light the city. And if you believe that's true, and it is true, and just as we're standing here, we will stand there, then that gives you hope. And that hope allows you to endure when things are hard, when things get messy, when people sin against you, when it's hard to share the gospel, when it's hard to seek God's kingdom, when you've got to love someone that you don't want to love, it helps you endure. I would love to see our church grow in cultivating faith, hope, and love. In a city where there's rampant despair, people are ashamed, and everyone is afraid of what might happen to themselves or others. And I think in doing so, being a church of faith, hope, and love, we would cultivate something radical in our city. This year, don't hide, don't be afraid. Don't fear the shame, don't despair. Cultivate faith, hope, and love through the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that we uh, have opportunities for faith, hope, and love because of what you've done on the cross on our behalf. The cross, the empty tomb, and the ascension to the right hand of God. Jesus, give us perseverance, give us perspective, Give us power that we might be a people of faith, hope, and love in 2018. And all God's people said, amen. I'm gonna invite you to stand right now as we sing in Christ alone and uh, place your faith, hope, and love in him again. sing about Jesus, the risen King, where are you struggling? Is it faith in him? Is it hope in God's story? Is it love for your neighbor? Where do you need more faith in Jesus? 
more hope in who he is, more of his love so that you can reflect it in the city. Let me encourage you now just to bow your head silently and ask God to give you more faith, hope, and love. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning at New City Fellowship. Uh, You know, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck you from his hand. Jesus Christ commands your destiny. You are his and he is yours. Amen? Mm -hmm. I'm excited about 2018 for our church. Um, I know that over the last few weeks, I've been asking you to pray about direction for New City Fellowship in 2018. And next week we have a big announcement to make. So please come back next week and we'll let you know.